And we're also going to go to John, the Gospel of John in the 14th chapter. We're going to look at both of those today. And while you're looking for that, I thought I'd read you this classified ad that I found. I wrote it out. Uh, Lost, one dog, brown hair, several bald spots. Right leg broke due to auto accident. Rear left hip hurt. Right eye missing. Left ear bitten off in a dog fight. Answers to the name Lucky. (laughs) So uh, Lucky might not need this message today. He's already positive under pressure, but I think you might need it as well. We're going to go into the second week of our uh, series called Going Deeper. And I hope it's challenging to you. I hope you have a, you know, buckle yourself in. And this is going to challenge you at a lot of levels. But I thought I'd begin by just introducing you again to the author of this book of James. Now just listen to who this person is. You're about to be taught by Pastor James. He doesn't give his credentials in the opening of this letter. He doesn't say, I'm the half-brother of Jesus, although he could have. He doesn't say, I'm the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. I'm the leader of the whole thing. He doesn't say that. So let me tell you a little bit of his story from Fox's Book of the Martyrs. Listen to this. Of James, the brother of the Lord, we read the following. He was considered a just and a perfect man. And he governed the church with the apostles. He drank no wine or any strong drink or ate no meat. He never shaved his head. He was the only man allowed to enter into the holy place. It's amazing. Out of all the new followers of the way of Jesus, he's the only one that's allowed to still enter into the temple, into the most holy place. And there he prayed. He would enter into the temple alone and fall on his knees and pray for the people doing this so often that his knees lost their sense of feeling and became hardened like the knees of a camel. Because of his holy life, James was called the just and the safeguard and the steadfastness of the people. When many of their chief men had been converted, the Jews, the scribes, and the Pharisees began to fear that soon all the people would decide to follow Jesus. And so they met with James and they said, we beg you to restrain the people for they believe this Jesus as though he were the Christ. Persuade those who come at the Passover to think correctly about Jesus because they'll listen to you. Stand on the top of the temple so you can be heard by everyone. And so during the Passover, the scribes and the Pharisees put James on the top of the temple, calling out to him, you're a just man whom we all ought to obey. Tell the people they're going astray following Jesus who was crucified. Now, can you imagine the pressure of that moment? I mean, this is it. That's the moment of your life when your faith is on trial. And this is what he said. Why do you ask me of Jesus, the son of man? He sits on the right hand of the Most High, and he shall come in the clouds of heaven. He is the Messiah. And hearing this, many in the crowd praised the Lord and were persuaded and glorified God, calling Hosanna to Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah. When the scribes and the Pharisees realized that they had done the wrong thing by allowing James to testify of Christ, they cried out, Oh, this man is seduced too. And they went up and they threw James off the top of the temple. But James wasn't killed by the fall. He turned and fell on his knees, his camel knees, and he called out, O Lord God, Father, I beg you to forgive them, for they know not what they do. And some decided to stone James, but a priest stood between them, saying, Wait, what are you doing? This man is praying for you. And one of the men there took an instrument he used to beat cloth, and he struck James upon the head and killing him. And they buried him there where he fell, James, a true witness for Christ to the Jews and the Gentiles. 
what an amazing, amazing man. And he is now going to speak to you about pressure and about maintaining peace in the middle of all kinds of pressure and keeping your calm. He writes to, to believers that are scattered everywhere. Some scattered by racial division and some are scattered by persecution and some are scattered by economic realities and some are scattered by legalism. And he writes to the Jews, the Jewish Christians who are scattered, and he says, you who were once unified, you who were once in one accord, I'm begging you to come together. And he's going to give us this incredible study on what maturity looks like, the maturity it takes to come together. He writes this to his brothers and sisters. He says, in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And then the second scripture I want to read to you this morning from John's Gospel in the 14th chapter, one verse, verse 27. Jesus speaking, Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I want to talk to you about the, the pressure that you feel in life and the absence of peace. And whether you're young or old, you understand we live in the most pressure-cooked age ever in history. We live in an age of total negativity media negativity, it's all negative. Somebody's always bashing someone. We live in an age of perfectionism. God help you if you make a mistake in public in the world in which we live. We live in the perfectionism and the pressure of, of, uh, uh, of performance, the pressure of the past and all the cumulative baggage that comes along with it. But James wants to talk to you today about something different. He wants to talk to you about the gift of pressure. Because don't you know that when life comes at you from all sides, that's the opportunity when your faith has a chance to be shown for what it is and the true colors come out. And he wants to talk to you about the kind of peace that's going to be required not to try to get out from under the pressures that you're in, but to stay steadfast in the pressure so that God can do an incredible work, a perfecting work, a completing work in you. Are you ready to receive this word from the Lord today? Everybody say amen. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you now asking you to do something supernatural because we have been conformed too long to the pattern of this world. But will you open up our eyes today? Will you help us to see? Take every heart that is stone right now and make it flesh. Open up our lives that we can receive the Holy Spirit and we can see. Empty me of myself. Fill me with your spirit. And may we all be changed by your word today. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen, amen. 
I've been a scuba diver most of my life. I've grown up underwater for great portions of my life. A scuba diver knows that for every 30 feet that you descend, you move to a different atmosphere. In other words, the atmosphere at the surface is normal pressure. But for every 30 feet you descend, the pressure upon your body doubles. And as you descend further, every 30 feet, the pressure exponentially doubles again. You find your ears popping from the pressure, and you find it becoming increasingly difficult to breathe. To where the point you would get to about 30 or 300 feet, that's about the deepest you can go without special equipment because you can no longer breathe anymore. Your lungs will not withstand against the pressure of the environment. And beyond that, if you were to go deeper, your body would literally be crushed by the pressure. This is a synonym or a metaphor uh, for the anxiety that we face when we live under pressure for long periods of time. We are all generally anxious people. We're wired by God to have anxiety, and a little anxiety is a good thing. Acute anxiety is what saves our lives when somebody yells, fire, and we would immediately stand up, look around, and decide immediately we must leave. It's time to go. That acute alertness and that sense of get me out of here because I want to preserve my life from threat. Everybody has that. It's a God-given gift, but chronic anxiety is when I stay anxious. The threat is no longer real but imagined, and I live in a constant state of pressure. And the longer that pressure goes on, I begin to seek seek deeper and deeper. And the word for anxiety means uh, to choke or to strangle or to asphyxiate. That's what the word anxiety means. And is that not how we feel when the pressure of life gets greater and greater and greater? We find ourselves sinking and our ears popping and we become less and less able to function. Don't we relate to Paul the Apostle who would say at times, I don't understand myself. I do the very things I don't want to do. Or the things that I want to do, I don't do. Why? Pressure, anxiety that keeps us from doing the things that we should. The chronically anxious person can't function. The chronically anxious person keeps doing the things that they don't want to do. They find themselves emotionally unable to perform. And rather they just conform or they be silent or they will react and explode in anger. Or they will just simply do the wrong thing. And all of us have learned to be very careful about the people in our lives because there are some people you know just telling them is going to set them off. We know that when we tell them they're going to fly off the handle, they'll flip their lid, they'll fall apart, they'll collapse. If we differ from them, they will immediately become angry or hysterical. You see, people develop patterns in how they respond to pressure how they react to pressure. The problem is about patterns is once we settle into a pattern of how we're going to deal with our lives, it becomes very difficult to break the pattern. Compounding the problem is that the enemy knows your pattern. He knows exactly what stimuli to give to you that will cause you to to react. And he's out to disrupt your life. So that means you can know the Bible, or you can believe in God, or you can read scripture, or even quote scripture, or put a fish on your car, or go to the Bible study, or, you know, be in church and sing a song, and you can have all of that and still have absolutely no peace on the inside. The slightest provocation elicits a response out of you that would at times even shock you. The pattern of reactivity becomes your atmosphere, and everybody has one, and you bring your atmosphere with you 
into every situation. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about today? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to say something. I want you to, 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 to listen carefully. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to say it like it is. So listen carefully. Some people in this room, some people have left you. They, they didn't leave you. They just left your atmosphere. Many times people will even leave people that they love because they can no longer stand to be around the atmosphere of living with them. They've created an atmosphere of toxicity and negativity. It's become so dangerous. They're willing to give up who they love for the atmosphere that they hate. They cannot bear to be in that atmosphere of chaos and confusion and frustration and depression and anxiety and fear. People cultivate atmospheres around them that are so negative that even you walking in begins to pull you down. They're not happy about anything. They chide and they churn and they boil and they, bur- and they burn and they're just upset and angry about this and about that and everything is a problem and, and you find yourself withdrawing and reacting or maybe you find yourself in that place of reactivity. I want you to understand what's really going on. The enemy is not after your car. He's not after your house. He's not after your, your livelihood. He's not after your profession, your promotion, your job. He's not after your stuff. He's not even after your children. He is after your mind. He's after your peace of mind. I want you to understand that if your peace dwells in the stuff that you have, in the things that you have, in your job, in your stuff, all he has to do is get at your stuff and then he's got at your peace. You remember the great debate over Samson. Where does his strength come from? What do we have to cut away so that he will no longer have his strength? And that same discussion is going on today. What do we have to cut away from you to get at your peace, the enemy says? And is, is his strength in the circumstances all lining up the way he wants them to go? Is his peace in his job? Is his security in the house? Is her security in the home? Is her security in everything going the way that she thought? When the enemy pressures you, he is trying to destroy your peace of mind. So this is where we live. And into this reality, James begins to speak and offer a countering view to say, I want you to realize that pressure can also be a gift. It doesn't have to be destructive. Yes, Pressure can destroy relationships, but pressure can bond relationships. Pressure can fragment, but pressure can fuse things together. James says, let me write to the scattered, to, the, to, the, to those who, have, who are disunified and who have gone their separate ways. Let me write to them about the power of unity and let me talk to them about the maturity it's going to take to come together. Because without maturity, without the right way of thinking... We scatter and we divide and we break apart. And so James says there's going to be some differences in how you look at this and what you know. And the first thing he begins to talk about in this passage is for me and probably for you a great equalizer. The pressure within begins to resist the pressure that comes from without simply by what he says. He says count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if. He says when. It's bound to happen. And immediately I realize it's not just happening to me. And it's no just, it's no, it should be no surprise to me that every person in this room, this is a fact of life, we all have pressure. And we all have problems, we all have difficulty. And anytime you're tempted to think that it's just happening to you, no it's not. It's happening to everybody. 
And if you feel like you have no pressure, check your pulse. Are you alive? Everybody has pressure. The second thing he says is, consider it joy or count it all joy when you fall into these trials. And so it's kind of an oxymoron. It's a, or a, what is that word when you contrast two things, right? Maybe that's it. But you've got this thing where it shouldn't be a surprise to you, but then it is a surprise. Like it's so unexpected. We are so surprised every time pressure hits us, like we've never seen it before. He says, when you fall into these things, this is the same Greek word that's used in the story of the Good Samaritan, where the guy fell in among thieves, unexpectedly. So it's like you're surprised because you just sort of got buffaloed by this huge problem or this trial that, that's coming your way. And he says two things. Trials that come into your life, they're unpredictable. They happen to everybody. But God is trying to do something in them, and this is his whole point. He says it's not about what's happening as much as what you know about what is happening. Thank you, Darren. That was really good. <laughs> James says, count it all joy when you fall into these trials because you know something. Look what he says. You know that the testing of your faith produces patience. We don't rejoice for the problem. We rejoice in the problem. We rejo don't rejoice for the pressure. We rejoice in the pressure. We don't rejoice, uh, God, because you gave me this problem or this difficulty, but God, thank you for the situation that even though I'm in it, God, I still thank you anyway. God, you're doing something in me that even though I feel pressured, I know you're doing something good in my life. One of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible right here. Count it all joy. How am I supposed to count my problems joy? Or just like 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where it says, be thankful in all circumstances for this is the will of God. How am I supposed to be thankful in everything? How am I supposed to be thankful for cancer? How am I supposed to be thankful that my sister died? How am I supposed to be thankful that I lost my job? How am I supposed to be thankful for that? And James isn't saying, don't put on some fake pretend, just, you know, go crazy. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. You know, don't act like, he's not saying that. He's just simply saying, you can be thankful in your circumstances. This isn't about being thankful for your circumstances. You can learn how to cultivate a thankful heart in your circumstances. In everything, give thanks. Why? Because I know that the testing, the proving, the trying, the strengthening of my faith is doing something really good in me. It's making me patient. And oh, how we need to be patient. Patience is really a, another word for maturity. You're moving me from being a reactor to a, a responder. You're developing patience in me. You're proving me. You're, you're giving me staying power, the ability to hang in there under pressure. And oh, do we not like to hang in under pressure. When pressure comes, we want to run. We want to escape. And so we'll do all kinds of things to get away from pressure, won't we? We will eat pressure and we'll drink pressure, and we'll spend pressure, and we'll drug pressure, and we'll go try to get on vacation away from pressure. Hello? And God all the while is saying, I'm trying to teach you something, and you keep running from what I'm teaching you. I guess we'll have to go around lapped again. See, understand here, this whole point of the Christian life is pressure. Jesus is, God is using this to make you like Jesus. Look what he says. Let patience have its perfect work. I mean, let it alone. Let patience have its work in you that you may be perfect and complete enough and lacking nothing. That's a definition of Jesus. That's who he is. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's your savior. And that's God's long-range goal is to try to make you like Jesus. That's his purpose, to grow you up, to make you mature like his son. And maturity happens through enduring pressure. 
It's submitting, we, as we learned last week, to a process, to something that's greater than you. And our, as you are exposed to the pressure cooker of the problem, something is beginning to happen in you and you're becoming something different than what you used to be. And the way that you respond determines your level of maturity. You see, in the Christian life, character is the whole goal. A lot of people don't understand what, what being a Christian's about. Like, like, if I became a Christian, then God will be happy with me, and he'll bless me, and I'll never have any problem in my whole life. And so when life doesn't pan out the way that you thought, you get very frustrated with that. You don't understand that God's whole goal is not really your comfort. That he, it is about your character, that you are becoming like Christ. He wants to make that character strong rather than just make you comfortable. And so if God's going to make me like Jesus, he's going to take me through all the same things that he took his own son through. Jesus was frustrated and he struggled and he was tired and he was weary and he got discouraged at time and he was tempted. We're going to go through all of those similar experiences. And so James is saying, stop trying to get out of every pressure that, that comes your way. Don't you realize that I am doing something in you? You see, this is so hard for us to get. And that's why James puts this at the very front. It is the introductory lesson to the book of James. That if you don't realize that I am the one at work in you, if you can't see that, you're going to take everything else, everything else that happens to you as something evil and bad and wrong, and you're not going to have any peace at all. The NIV says, steadfastness, being consistent over time, being strong. This is where James is hitting it on the head. I see so many Christians that just, you know, they, they say, you know what, when I became a Christian, I didn't have any problems. It was great. But then suddenly, bam, all of a sudden I had one problem after another. And maybe you started to doubt yourself and say, well, maybe I'm not really forgiven. And maybe this is all that karma catching up with me. And maybe, you know, God doesn't love me. Maybe he doesn't care about me. God, where are you? And you're like right in the middle of God's character course. And God is using all of this adversity to do something great in you. This is what it means when we read Romans 8, 28. And it's a very familiar passage that we show a lot in this church. God is working all things together for your good. For those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose, he's working everything for good. But you don't understand that verse unless you put it up with verse 29, which we don't often do where it says, for those whom he foreknew, or those whom he picked and predestined, he did that for the very reason of conforming you into the image of his son. There's the goal. He's working all things together for good. Why? So that you'll be happy? Well, partially. <laughs> but so that you will be conformed to the image of his son. He's trying to make you like his son, Jesus. Now, the word conformed is not a gentle word. Conformed means to be shaped and to be molded and to be pressured. And we don't like that. And we'll do anything that we can to get out from under what God is doing. But this is where we need to become, this is that point of maturity that James is calling to, us to. Where we actually do what I said this morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Even under pressure. Even when I don't feel it. Even when I don't understand. When things aren't going right. This is so difficult to understand. It's hard. But that's why James tells us exactly what to do. I've told you what the issue is. I want to bring to you the how right now. James says right here in verse 5. He says, pray for wisdom. Pray for understanding. 
pray that God will reveal to you and you'll see exactly what's going on. Look what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. God wants to give it to you liberally without reproach. He'll give it to you. God won't condemn you or look down on you because you say, God, I don't get it. God, what are you doing? God, why? God, give me wisdom. God, help me to see this from your perspective. That's a definition of wisdom. God, I want to see it the right way. I don't want to see this the way that I feel or what all the gossip is. God, I want to see this the right way. Help me to have your point of view. And God says to the person who comes that way, he says, I'll give you that generously. I'll give that to you liberally. I won't even find fault with you for asking. I want to give it to you. Why? So that you will grow, so that you'll learn, so that you won't have to keep going, lapping through the desert over and over and over again, having to learn the same lesson. So it's critical that we say, God, I come to you with this open heart about my circumstances. Give me wisdom. But he says this. He gives it a qualifier. He says, when you pray for that, you better ask with faith in your heart. Don't doubt about it. A a doubting heart is, is so unstable. Look what he says. A doubting person is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man should not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double minded unstable in all his ways. What does that mean? Let me give you from another translation from the message. Let me see. For the person who says, God, I want to know. I want you to explain it to me. God, give me wisdom. This is what he says. So ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers. In other words, people, you're not really praying. It's nothing creative going on. This is just simply the worry over and over and over again, rehashing the worry. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, here's the key, keeping all of your options open. Now, here's the key to all that. You know what that is? I keep my options open because I'm not sure I'm going to like what God's going to say. Now, come on, Darren, say that again. Okay, I will. You may not like what, you may not like what God says, and so you keep your options open. It's like, God, I want to know what you say, but I'm going to, you know, decide in the final analysis. I might have a few other options open. So you're not really trusting God for what he's doing. It's really all about what you think ought to be done. You're back where you started. And that's why he says you're double-minded. It's an unstable place to live. There's no peace for you if you're unstable and you're thinking, God, I just want to keep, you're, you're just one of my options. So he says, when you come, say, throw yourself before God and say, God, I want to see it your way. I want it to happen your way. I want you to give me the wisdom and help me to follow through and help me to hang in there and help me to see what it is that you're trying to do in my life. I submit to you, Lord God. And he says, and then something will happen. Then you receive a gift that defies understanding. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, peace I'm going to give you. It is a gift that he's going to give you. My peace, so Jesus says, my peace I'll give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Which, by the way, the peace of the world, you know what that is? Everything going exactly the way that you want. Everything going the way that you think. See, that's the peace of the world. So he says, I'm going to give you a different kind of peace. And it's important you understand there's two kinds of peace. There's the peace of the world, and there is the peace of Christ. And some of you say, well, I'll take peace any way I can get it. I don't care where it comes from. It's two totally different things. He says the peace of the world is based on circumstantial peace. As long as everything's going your way, and there's really not too much 
stress or problems, like there's no, everything's going good, it's all calm, it's like my week to be in vacation in, in the hammock, it's all good, no threats, no bills out of control, no real anxieties, I'm at peace. Well, anybody can be at peace that way. You don't have to be a Christian to have that kind of peace. That's the peace of the world. And one phone call destroys that peace. One word that comes. One thing happens. Your world starts to get dramatic and you get dramatic. Something doesn't go the way that you want and you go into a mood swing and you feel depressed and you feel discouraged and you might have a temper tantrum or there's depression or anxiety or worry. All the enemy has to do is just play your tune, play your reactive soundtrack and off you go and your peace is gone. And he says, that's the peace of the world. So you need to learn how to trade your peace for his. And he says, there's a better kind of peace that I want to give to you. Jesus says, I want to give you some peace because you cannot be who you are supposed to be. You can't become the person I want you to be. You can't discover your destiny or the plan I have for your life or anything if you are just reacting to the circumstances that blow into your life. You can't find stability if you're in constant chaos and like one of those wind-whipped waves of the sea. Jesus says, I want to give you peace that passes your ability to understand. Peace where you don't react to circumstances. Peace where there's a calm, strong center. The Spirit of God in your soul. Peace from heaven that comes to your level that equalizes the pressure from the outside. Oh, that was really good right there. I hope you capture that picture. That's what God wants to do for you. Now, here's how that works. The Spirit of God speaks in still, quiet places. He comes to you in the calm. He comes to the first people in the garden and he walks with them. God is always talking to you in still places. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Breathe. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Breathe. He leads me beside the still waters. Breathe. Even if I'm in the middle of my enemies, he can make a place of security so strong that I can sit down and eat without fear with enemies all around. If I walk through death's door, death's valley, I have no fear because he is with me. Breathe. God speaks in the calm and the quietness of your soul and there is a place in your spirit that you cannot surrender to the chaos. There's a place in your life that you've got to keep quiet for God. You can't make decisions and good thoughts if you're worried to death. You can't make good decisions from a chaotic spirit and a confused state of mind. The enemy knows that the birthplace of creativity and wisdom and direction and hearing the voice of God is a calm and quiet place. So he will stir up all kinds of stuff in your life and give you every kind of excuse to never slow down and never get quiet and never put yourself in a place where you'll seek the peace that comes from God. He'll just have you like a little rat in a wheel. Jesus said, I want you to be so peaceful I want to give you a place, I want to come to you where your creativity will blossom, that you will give birth to new ideas and concepts and you'll understand exactly what I want you to do. I'll give you peace, I'll give you perspective, but in order to have that, you've got to have a place of peace. And I am not going to stop the whole world around you just so you can have that place. 
I want to give you peace that resists, that equalizes against the pressure of the world. I want to give you peace. But you're going to have to cultivate some space for it. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but for the last 48 hours, I have just been praying for you. I've been, God has put this so strong on my heart that I don't know what it is that you're going through or what kind of craziness happened in your life this weekend or the kind of pressure that almost kept you from being here today. And God says, no, no my purpose will not be thwarted. I'm going to make sure that you're here to hear this, that I'm calling you to trade your pattern of peace for mine. And that pattern is going to be so hard to break, but trade your peace for mine. And cultivate a quiet spot where I can speak to you and give you something that is truly supernatural. Are you a person of faith or not? Are you going to doubt or not? You think this is something you can just do on your own? That's why God says the first step of maturity is learning you can't be your own source. You can't make it all happen for you. You're going to have to come to me and let me give you my peace I give to you. I want to give you peace. And the enemy wants to, you to worry yourself to death, and he's a liar because God wants to give you peace. There's a part of you and me that we must not surrender to the circumstances of our situation that we keep between, there's this place that say, God, this is a place where you can speak to me, the quietness of my spirit. I will meet you there. I'll listen to you there. I'll submit to you there. I'll stay calm no matter what the circumstances are around me. And it's so important that you keep that sacred. And here's why. Because ships don't sink that go through storms. Ships only sink that get water inside of them. And what are you allowing to get inside of you instead and sink you? This is what was happening to the disciples as they were in that boat and the waves and the storm were crashing in on them. And they were freaking out and they're screaming to the point where they finally say, Lord, don't you even care that we are going to drown? Jesus, and where's Jesus? Jesus is asleep on a pillow in the boat. The peace of God is so intense and so powerful that Jesus is asleep. They go have to go shake him and rouse him in the middle of the storm. Lord, don't you care? We're going to drown. And he rises up out of this sleep, and it doesn't say that he says anything, except he walks to the front of the boat, and he stands up to the winds and the waves, and he says, Peace, be still. And the waves calm, and the storm calms. And I wonder, how do you get up and speak peace in the middle of a storm? Well, one thing I know for sure, you can't speak something that you're not living in. You can't give something or bring something that you don't have on the inside already. He's asleep already in the storm. He just brought that peace. And see, God hasn't promised that you're not going to go through storms. In fact, he's not going to lead you around the storms. He's actually going to take you through the storms, but he wants you to have so much peace on the inside that you'll overcome the peace or the stress from the outside that you'll even sleep in the storm. And some of you need to hear this because you don't sleep. You worry yourself to death, and you have to come up with all kinds of ways to get your rest at night. And God says, I've got something better for you. It is the peace that passes understanding. Peace that comes from God. Peace that's going to change the way that you think. Jesus says, I'm returning to the Father, but I am leaving you my peace. The winds are going to blow. But he called his disciples and he breathed his spirit into them. 
Those winds are going to blow around you, but he wants to blow his spirit into you. He wants you to breathe. It says in the beginning that he breathed the breath of life into man. And then it says later in the scriptures how he always is breathing life into dead things. And then he says something like, let everything that has breath just praise the Lord. God wants to breathe something into you that is greater than the pressure that you're experiencing from the outside. And this is life. You're not going to escape the pressure. If you're waiting for God to stop the winds and the waves and to stop all the storms and to make all the prayers that you've been praying about, everything lining up the way that you want, if you're waiting for that to happen, it's not going to happen. If you're waiting for that to have peace, man, this is life. It's going to blow. The car's going to run out of gas. The battery's going to die. The tires will get flat. Stuff's going to leak. People are going to break their word. People aren't going to do what they want. Chaos is going to happen. If you're waiting for all that stuff to stop happening, you won't have peace. But what's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Do you even now today feel God's love, the Holy Spirit calling to you, saying, come, receive the peace that I have for you. Trade your peace for his. Come to me, and I will give you rest for your soul, didn't he say? And so he says, come, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Some of you have been so worried and so anxious, you're almost strangled and asphyxiated. And God says, I brought you here to breathe. And so the scripture says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, bring your requests, let them be known to God. Why don't you just right now, just exhale, exhale out all of those worries to God. This is that space. God, I just praise you for what you've done in my life. God, I just praise you for these people that you brought here today. God, thank you for every person that you brought into this room. May they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this morning. And may they just breathe out all the worry and the stress and the anxiety. You say, Darren, I want that so badly. How do I do that? Here's the prayer. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus Christ, I have resisted you. I have used you as an option. I called you only when I'm in as a last resort. And so today I just want to tell you I am sorry for keeping you at a distance I know that you're God and I am not and I ask you to come into my life I ask you to forgive me of my sin I ask you to give me your peace in my soul wash me and make me clean make me a new person on the inside and if you sincerely believe that you say that is my prayer that's me then say God that was my prayer yes God that's me for some of you, you have been believers for a long time, but if the truth be told, you would sit here so convicted by your anxious reactivity. You know the Lord, but every time something pressures you, you react. And you're like Paul, who would say, I don't understand myself. I don't know why I get this way. So there's a moment of honesty here where you say, God, I, I am using you like an option. Even though you're my savior, I still want to be in so much control. I surrender to you. Surrender to him today. God, I need to cultivate a place of peace in my heart. I've been so busy. I run at 50,000 RPMs, and I need to slow myself to about 50 to hear your whispers. I promise you I want to do that, God. I want to hear it your way. Why don't you just say, yes, God, that's me. Now just receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this morning. Breathe him in. Trade your peace for his.
living God fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. May that be all of our prayer today. We say yes to you, to your peace, in Jesus' name. Doesn't that feel great this morning? Isn't that what? The Word of God good? I want you to keep coming back as we keep going deeper. This book of James will not disappoint you. I know that marriages are going to be deeply affected over the next few weeks and months as we go through this. Job situations are going to be affected. Your children are going to be affected. God is going to mature us and grow us up make us more and more like Jesus together. I'm so excited for it. Thank you so much. Keep coming back. I love you. Amen.